following is a sermon from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information and resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. I uh, want to welcome all of you to Park Church. My name is Joel, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, we're going to be doing the scripture reading right now a little bit differently than we normally do. We're going to be reading from Psalm 136. So if you can open your Bibles to Psalm 136. Do you know what page it's on? I don't know what page it's on. It's in the middle of your Bible. So Psalm 136. And uh, as you're finding that, what we're going to be doing today is um, once you find it, uh, we're going to be standing together, and then we're going to be reading in a call and response style. So there's going to be the opening statement, uh, and then there's going to be a refrain that's repeated throughout the psalm. And we're going to try to practice doing the psalm the way it was intended to, which was all together, corporately. We're going to be reading it all together. So that one line, so it's going to be up there, actually up on the screen, right behind me, for a steadfast love endures forever. So I'm going to say a line, and then we're going to practice all together, and we say, for his steadfast love endures forever. Uh, The good news for you all is you're going to get a lot of practice today. So why don't we stand together for the reading of God's Word. And I'll just add, if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, please take one of the Bibles in the pew back in front of you as a gift from Park Church. So Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever, to him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever, to him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever, to him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever, and killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
a heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can be seated. Thank you, Jared. Thank you, congregation. Impressive. You guys pulled it off. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Um, we are in our summer series entitled Christ in the Psalms. You can see it by the banners and, and the slide uh, behind me. We've done this for the last 13 years, since 2011. We're on track to finish the Psalms this next summer. So we're doing it, y'all. We're making our way through. We go through one by one consecutively. We started in Psalm 1 11 years ago. And so we're finishing up this summer in Psalm 139. Uh, today we are in Psalm 136. Uh, we love the Psalms. We believe the Psalms have a ton to teach us about how to pray, how to feel, but also the Psalms teach us to see Jesus, hence the title of this series. Uh, on August 20th, 2012, my wife and I received the gift of becoming parents to twin daughters. Uh, one of the main tools, I knew I was going to have to add a bunch of tools to my tool belt, uh, but one of the tools I wasn't aware of that I would have to add so much so is this tool of repetition. Tool of repetition, I think being a parent to twins, um, life became a groundhog day of repetition between changing diapers, feeding them, burping them, putting them down for naps, and then kind of as they gained mobility, ability to communicate, it was repeating the same commands, don't touch that, watch out. Uh, these days, it's been more of like, don't kick each other, don't talk to each other that way. Please, for the love of God, pick up your socks and shoes and put them where they belong. Um, the repetition is nonstop, but the truth is, is, that, is this. It's like repetition isn't just for parents, it's for all of us. It's how we as humans uh, learn to interact in the world that we're in, just as we learn skills and also as we communicate to other things that are of value. Um, we, uh, we learn how to read and write this way. We learn sports, particular movements. Uh, but not only do we begin with repetition, we continue throughout the whole of our lives all the way to the end with repetition. Repetition is how we carry on good habits and also bad habits. Uh, there's a quote from philosopher-psychologist William James. He says this, All of our life, so far as it has definite form, is but a mass of habits, practical, emotional, intellectual, systematically organized for our weal or woe and bearing us irresistibly toward our destiny, whatever the latter may be. And that first line, our lives are a mass of habits. Really, they're a series of physical uh, and mental repetitions that shape us into being a particular kind of person. Well, what in the world uh, is this conversation about repetition have to do with Psalm 136? Uh, psalm 136 is an amazing psalm. I got to spend the last month or so with it. Uh, we don't know the author of Psalm 136. We don't know the occasion for it. Uh, we do know that it comes right after the Songs of Ascent, which is Psalms 120 through 134. We also know that it came after Psalm 135, which Jason preached on last, last week. Uh, this psalm, interestingly, shares a ton of similarities uh, with that prior psalm. So if you're like, man, I feel like I've heard this before. Like, we read some of these things last week. Psalm 135 and 136 have actually been called twin psalms. Uh, they, they, they share a lot of similarities with one another. In fact, they've also been considered an appendix to the Songs of Ascent. So these three times a year when worshipers would come to Jerusalem to worship 
God. And then often people thought that these were like historical psalms. They would, they would, they think that the worshipers would sing these on their way home as they would worship God in Jerusalem, rehearsing the story of God in their own stories. And so that's these two psalms. That's Psalm 136. Um, There is no um, line in Psalm 136 that's unaccompanied by that one refrain that we read over and over again. It repeats itself nonstop. Um, most likely it was, it was meant to be read antiphonally, kind of in that call and response style. But I want to say this. You cannot understand Psalm 136 without understanding that one phrase that's repeated again and again and again. For me as a parent, if I'm repeating myself with my kids, that's the point that I'm trying to get across. And that's the point that this psalmist is trying to get across with us today. So to miss this refrain is to miss all of Psalm 136. And so before we jump into anything else this Sunday, uh, we're going to focus in on this one refrain. And then we'll work our th- way through the whole psalm in light of that one refrain. And so this one refrain, it's, cons- it's repeated 26 times. If I repeated myself once or twice, that's kind of annoying, right? But if I repeat myself 26 times, I'm trying to bring out something. I want to ask you a question. As we read Psalm 136 together and you repeated all of those lines, what was going on in your head and in your heart? I don't know. Some of you guys might have been like, okay, we got it the first time, bro. You know, like, let's, let's be done with it. I think for some people, maybe your eyes were glazing over a little bit. You're like, okay, for a steadfast love endures forever, for a steadfast, yes, yes, yes. Get to the point, right? Um, for others of us, maybe, um, there's a sense of, like, depth that was coming. Like, I mean, this time, I was, I was struck by just the amount of attention to detail that they were applying this one refrain to so many parts of, of this psalmist story, the story of, of Israel. And so many times we forget to do that. We, we forget to see the love in God, of God in all of these different places. Um, I want to remind you today that the psalmist was intentional with these repetitions. This wasn't simply scribe error. These weren't thrown, throwaway repetitions because they didn't know what else to say. And kind of like a, like a bad date, somebody's trying to fill up the empty space with just talking about things, right? That's not what Psalm 136 is doing. The psalmist knew this reality of human nature that God has put repetition in our DNA. Ironically, we complain when we repeat a course a few times on a Sunday or repeat a few bridges uh, during a service. This psalm repeats itself 26 times. I want to say this. Repetition is clearly not the enemy. It's not merely a sign of shallow uh, emotional faith. Repetition can be a powerful tool that God uses in our lives to provide depth, not shallowness, for us in terms of our discipleship and our formation. It's a means by which we meditate and chew on things. And so I guess the question is not just should we repeat, but rather how do we repeat? We are repeating things, but how are we repeating things well? The truth is that all of us who've walked in here, if you walked in here, you are a creature of repetition. And not just external repetition, but internal repetition. We're all having ongoing dialogues and narratival stories that we're playing in the back of our minds and our hearts all the time. Our hearts have marquee signs that are repeating certain lines or singing certain songs over ourselves that we are repeating again and again. I was meeting with someone this last week uh, who, who's, been, who's been going to counseling, and they were telling me that in this meeting with their counselor, they realized that they've been living from a particular place since they were six years old, and something happened to them. It didn't even seem like that significant of an event, but this one line has been playing kind of in their narrative that they believed that if they had a good thing in their life, that thing would be taken away from them. 
And so they were afraid. Any time a good thing came their way, they were afraid that something was going to be taken away from them. And it took going to counseling years and years later to realize that since they were six, that's the line that's been playing in their head. And, and, it, and it's, it's affected how they were dealing with relationships. It affected how they dealt, dealt with work itself and all of their interactions. It was something silly, kind of, that seemed maybe silly when they were six. And yet all of us have those realities playing in our lives. Are you aware of those things? Not only do we have internal voices speaking to us, but the world and culture around us are inviting us and calling us to repeat other things in a million different ways, things they want us to meditate on, think on, that they know will shape us in particular ways. Denver has songs that's inviting us to sing, lines that it's inviting us to say along with it. Many of these lies that we're repeating are actually distorting God's image in us. And so it's not a matter of if we're repeating or not, but rather, are we repeating things in a godly way? Godly repetition is simply fighting bad repetition with good repetition. Are we repeating things of truth, of substance, truths about who God is, who we are, who others are, what life is really about? Or are we repeating lies and believing lies and singing lies in the playlist that we're running through our hearts? So let's look at this actual phrase that's repeated in Psalm 136 real quick for a moment. For his steadfast love endures forever. For his steadfast love endures forever. This word translated in the ESV as steadfast love is actually one word. That's the word hesed in Hebrew. We'll have it up there, the Hebrew and the word itself. So that's, that's the Hebrew word for hesed. Uh, if we were to read this phrase in Hebrew, it would literally say, for his hesed forever. So we added for his steadfast love endures forever, but literally in Hebrew it says for his, he- for his hesed forever, for his steadfast love forever. That's what would be repeated over and over and over again. The single word for hesed is complex and nuanced. It's incredibly hard to convey or translate into English. I, I grew up in Brazil and there are certain words that really don't have an English equivalent. So there's this word saudade. It seems saudade will say which means I feel, and it's like, when I try to translate that word in English, I'm like, I miss you? But it misses, like, the essence of the word. It's kind of, like, stripped of the feeling. It's this word that's tied to missing someone, but a deep sense of loss, of melancholy, someone or something. And there's just no equivalent word in English. So we kind of settle for the word, oh, I, I miss this thing, or I miss that person, but it, it misses it in Portuguese. This word in Hebrew for, for hesed is a word that's used about 240 times in the Hebrew scriptures and in the Old Testament, but it's translated about 14 different ways because they're trying to get at the heart of what this word actually means. So in ESV, it's translated steadfast love. Somebody else translates it loving kindness. So they've taken two words. It's like, well, it's like love and it's kindness. Let's put them together. Loving kindness, right? Uh, tender mercies, goodness, loyalty, generosity. Hesed is one of the words that actually God uses when he first self-describes himself in Exodus 34. So God is described before this time, but it's by other people. In this case, God self-describes himself, and he says this, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and then what does he say? And abounding in steadfast love. Abounding in hesed love. God is overflowing to the brim with this sort of love. As we sang earlier, God's love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on, on us. This is this hesed love that we're looking at in this refrain. I want to put up a quote from Daryl Bach. He commented this. He said, Hesed is wrapping up in itself 
all the positive attributes of God, love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty, in short, acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. In his book, A Loving Life, author Paul Miller says it this way. Sometimes Hesed is translated steadfast love. It combines commitment with sacrifice. Listen to this. Hesed is one-way love. Love without an exit strategy. There's no reverse in God's love, right? When you love with Hesed love, you bind yourself to the love of your object no matter what the response is. So if the object of your love snaps at you, you still love that person. If you've had an argument with your spouse in which you were slighted or not heard, you refuse to retaliate through silence or withholding your affection. This is convicting, right? Your response to the other person is entirely independent of how that person has treated you. Listen to this. Hesed is a stubborn love. Love like this eliminates moodiness, the touchiness that is increasingly common in people today. So I want to say this to you all. God is the God of stubborn love, the best kind of stubborn love that you can imagine. He is relentlessly after you and me, and we need to let that sink in. I remember uh, back on a a foggy kind of um, little cliff in Pismo Beach, California, I was making my vows to my wife, and she was making her vows to me. And I remember looking at my, in the eyes of my wife, who's making these vows. She's repeating these vows that we're reading. And I was like, hearing these vows, and I was suddenly overcome. I didn't expect to be overcome by the weight, but I was overcome by the weight of these vows. And I was like, girl, you shouldn't be saying these vows to me, because these are intense vows. And I feel like you shouldn't be saying this to another human being, because they were so intense and weighty for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, you know? And I'm like, I want to almost yell out, like, don't do it, don't do it. And yet, this God, that was a small picture of this covenantal love that God has for us, this chesed love that's, that's said 26 times over and over again in this psalm. God has made far weightier vows towards us. He's tied himself to us in Hesed, covenantal love, and he has no exit strategy. He simply keeps showing us his Hesed. I just want to compare a mo- in a moment for a moment uh, our love to God's love. Our love is temporal, his love is eternal. Ours is like flippant, his is resolved. Ours is increasingly just and sadly marked by pro- broken promises, his by kept promises. Ours is a flicker, his is a raging flame. Ours soiled, his pure. The list could go on and on and on. Friends, this is the Hesed love of Psalm 136. This is the love that's repeated 26 times over our fragile, fickle love. Think about this. Of all the attributes that are true of God that the psalmist could have chosen to repeat, Hesed, the steadfast love, is the one that they've chosen to describe as a source and core of who God was. They could have chosen any other attribute because all of God's attributes are infinite. He's infinitely merciful. He is, he is everywhere, right? He's omniscient. He knows all, all things. He is infinitely loving. He's merciful. He's just. He's kind. And the one that they choose to repeat over and over and over again is his steadfast love, his hesed love. God's primary motivation when we see Uh, that we see in this psalm is his own love. The very thing that fuels his engine is his hesed love. And in a sense, this is the banner that hangs high over this whole psalm. So if you need one kind of phrase that summarizes Psalm 136, it's for his steadfast love endures forever. But I think that these repetitions are meant to invite us to take that same banner that's hung over Psalm 136 
and learn to hang it over our own hearts, to hang it over our families, to hang it over our church and say, this is the kind of love that we want to build our lives around. So for the rest of our time, we're simply going to walk through the rest of Psalm 136 and see how this particular refrain helps color and show itself in each part of the psalm. And so I'm going to try to kind of separate, kind of show you where we're going. Uh, I see this psalm divided out into five parts. So we have an opening call to worship, followed by three different scenes, three different stories, and then it ends with a closing call to worship. So if you're more of a sandwich person, less of like a poet person, um, think of this uh, psalm like a praise BLT, right? Uh, you got, the, you got the, the piece of bread, right? That's the beginning place. That's a call to worship. We add the bacon, the lettuce, and the tomato, right? And then it closes with a final call to worship. So that's the praise BLT that we're going to be exploring uh, today. Got it? Y'all are hungry now. One of my daughters, she loves uh, Snarf's BLT. It's really good. It's really good. All right. Uh, let's start with the opening call to worship, verses 1 through 3 says this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. So this is our opening call to worship. We're immediately called in to do what? Thank God. We're called to thank him. This verb for give thanks conveys the idea of gratitude for sure, but it also includes confession or testifying to declare that which we know is true of God. Testify about the Lord, that he's good for his steadfast love endures forever. Testify to the, about the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Confess the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. That's what this psalm is inviting us to do right out of the gate. Uh, this is precisely why we start our times of worship here at Park with scriptures about who God is. We don't start with like, God, my affection for you is incredibly high today. My emotions are heightened as I came into this room. Be prepared, oh God, to receive the wave of my love. That's great. I want, I want to give God the wave of my love, but before I could even begin to express myself, God has brought his own tidal wave of love over me and you. We begin with God. We begin with his tidal wave of love that's been poured out over us. We start with repeating truths about who God is and what he's declared about himself to be true. Because the reality is sometimes I come in here with this fluctuating love. I'm not feeling a deep sense of a wave of love for God. I'm feeling like this, this little puddle that's like murky and muddy, and I'm feeling stale and stagnant. That's how I come in often, and I'm not ready to declare my love for God. And yet when I come in here with all of my like wimpy praise, God says, I love you, for my steadfast love endures forever over you, uninspired one. That's God over us each and every day. So we say, give thanks to the Lord, or to Yahweh, that's all caps, Lord, for he is what? Good. God is good. Not only is God good, but it says that he is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. So when it says that he is the God of gods, it's declaring that over all spiritual powers in the spiritual realm, he's stronger than them. When it says he's Lord of lords, it's declaring that he's stronger than any political or human power in the physical realm. God rules and reigns supreme. And that's really what Jason was trying to unpack last week is Jesus is better and stronger than any of these other idols, any of these other powers. This is the God that we serve. He is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. But know what lies between every declaration of his supremacy and his power and his might. There's a repeated and incessant declaration of his hesed love. 
God's power, God's rule, God's kingship is permeated in love. It's permeated in hesed. You can't separate his power from his love. Our king isn't some loveless, cold and distant king, but our God is the king of love who is after his people, and that's good news for us because we are not always that way towards him. Following this call to worship, we're brought into scene one. It's a snapshot of sorts, and uh, scene one teaches us this. God's love is revealed in creation. God's love is revealed in creation. So the psalmist starts in verse 4, where the Bible actually starts, which is in Genesis, our origin story, verses 4 through 9. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. Uh, Here we find that the God of gods and to the Lord of lords wasn't just sitting idly on a throne, but what were they doing? What did God do? He created great wonders. Often this word for great wonders is tied to God redeeming his people from slavery, but here in this passage, it's tied to God creating and fashioning the world. Verse 5 says that the heavens were made by what? His understanding. They were made by his understanding. The universe isn't haphazard. It's not accidental. It's intentional. It's, it's crafted and thought out. This word for spread out, uh, the earth above the waters, is literally like to hammer out, to beat. God is like spreading out the earth. He's this like artisan. He's this craftsman that's, that's um, spreading out not just the earth and the sea, but as he's spreading these things out, he's throwing lights into the sky, these great lights, the sun to guide the day, the moon by night, the stars. This is the God whom we serve. But not only did God do all these things, which is amazing, He could have been bragging about all of those things. This refrain reminds us that not only did God do those things, but also tells him how he did these things. How did God create? Because the reality is that how we create matters too. If I make a meal for my wife and I am angry at her every step of the way and I serve it to her with disdain in my face, how do you think my wife would receive it? Uh, Maybe it depends on if the meal's good or not, but um, just kidding, no. She wouldn't be the most pumped on the meal because it's like, it's like, what in the world? Like, what is going on? This God that we created didn't create just, okay, whatever, I'm just going to create this. He created and he delighted in creation. As he created, he said, it is good. And I don't think he created just because it was good. He delighted that we were going to delight in it as well. Creation exists. Why? For his steadfast love endures forever. Love was a fountain from which creation came and intends to speak something of God himself. Creation speaks of the love of the creator. It reveals God. I think that's great news for us in Colorado. We have much to see and look around. The palette of colors on display, if you're up early enough in the morning when the sun rises. Uh, My wife was at a race in Crested Butte. If you've ever been there in July, the wildflowers are out of control. I was just up in um, a North Table in Golden this week, and just the rain has increased the greenery so much. As you're running around, just so much greenery everywhere you can look. Um, If you look out during the sunset, if you're able to see the foothills, and there's just like slight fog in the distance, and you just see layer upon layer of just, of, of, of the foothills, just showing the glory and the love of God. The night where you look up at the stars and you can ponder how small 
you really are. These all the way down to a simple leaf or blade of grass. All of these were meant to scream, Hesed, God's love, for his steadfast love endures forever. Creation points us to the creator and his wild love for us. And I think really what the psalmist is trying to do, and I want to try to get you guys to do, is to learn to see the love of God in all places. To learn to see the love of God in creation. We live in Colorado. To learn to look at creation and immediately spark to say, for his steadfast love endures forever. For his hesed forever. We need to learn to see creation not as an opaque scene, but rather a translucent one through which we can see the heart of the maker. I think Psalm 136 is trying to help us develop those eyes that see these things so that when we drive to Boulder, we can look at the foothills and say, for his steadfast love endures forever. So when we go camping, when we drive anywhere, as we see creation and we see its beauty, we are just sparked to say, for his steadfast love endures forever. God's love is revealed in nature. Second scene, God's love is revealed not only in creation, but also in redemption, verses 10 through 22. So here in this passage, we move from Genesis into Exodus and parts of Numbers and Deuteronomy. What the psalmist highlights is another huge part of Israel's history. The most defining act in their history was in the Exodus out of Egypt as God liberated them from the Egyptian slavery and took them into the promised land of Canaan. They've been enslaved for over 400 years and God heard their cries for rescue and he delivered them. So let's read this together again. Verses 10 through 22. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. Keeps going. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sion, the king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servants, for his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist immediately immerses us in the action of the story of Israel's redemption out of Egypt in sequential order and doesn't hold back, right? They start with a bang as they name the final plague, the parting of the Red Sea, the salvation of Israel on dry land, uh, through the waters while Pharaoh and his army were judged and destroyed by those same waters that Israel was freed from. God didn't just abandon them after that, but led them for 40 years through the desert, actually through a lot of grumbling and complaining, but God led them none, none the same. Right? He didn't just abandon them. He stayed with them. They overcame mighty kings and established them in a land flowing of milk and honey. But notice what the driving force of all these things was. His steadfast love endures forever. What moved God every step of the way out of Egypt and into the promised land was love. Israel's redemption was shot through with love. And I want to say the same is true for us. Our redemption is shot through with love. Love. Even when it says in verse 12 that God had a strong hand, notice what is a, it's accompanied by. It's a strong hand and what? An outstretched arm. An outstretched arm. We need both of these items together 
in tandem. One without, without the other wouldn't be of much help, would it? So if I had a strong hand but crossed arms, right, and you were like falling off a cliff and I just stood here, you know, that wouldn't be very helpful to you. Now, if you were hanging off a cliff right here and I had an outstretched arm, it was the most outstretched arm of all mankind, but I had a very weak hand, I was like, grab my hand. How much of help would that be to you? Right? Not very. We need a mighty hand. We need a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And this outstretched arm is really this, this, this idea of that God is loving towards us. He's forced. His posture of, uh, towards us is one of openness toward us. He's abounding in hesed. That's why. That's why he has an outstretched arm. He is all-powerful and all-loving. No earthly king, no earthly power could stand against him or his people that he loves. Third and final scene, not only is God's love revealed in creation and also redemption, but in verses 23 through 25, God's love is revealed in provision. This is a short and sweet one, uh, verses 23 through 25. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state for his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. There's a bit of discussion in verses 23 through 24. If there's just a recap of the prior verses or if they're applying the reality of God's posture towards Israel that he had, towards us today, regardless, these verses are teaching us the same thing, that God is a God who actively remembers us in our low state, like he did with Israel. He's a God who rescues us as we're overcome by foes, and he's the God who presently feeds us as we have need. Note that he's bringing us into the present tense in that, in that last verse in 25. Says, says this, he who gives food to all flesh. He who gives food, present tense, to all flesh. Not just to Israel, but to all creation. This is a universality of God's hesed love for all people, for all mankind. He is the God who, while he fights for his people, and he, yes, he really judges sin and rebellion against him, he's also the God who lovingly causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on all equally. Why? For his hesed forever. His hesed forever. In some ways, it comes all full circle in this final scene. Remind us that God is creator of all. What's the motivation of this God? Hesed, his love, his stubborn love that refuses to adopt an exit strategy. I don't know about you, but these verses are very encouraging for me. Did you walk in here in low estate, in just in a, just a rough place? God remembers you. God sees you. He knows you. Are you surrounded by enemies and voices and foes? God fights for you and he rescues you in love. Are you hungry? Are you in need of food? God gives food to all flesh out of love. Final verse. This is the closing call to worship in verse 26. It says this, Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. I want to say this about this final verse. In lieu of all that we've heard about this God in the prior 25 verses, he creates in love, he redeems in love, he provides in love. What do we do? What's a worthy of response to this God? Gratitude, thankfulness, praise. That's what we are called to. This description of the God of heaven is, is many ways summarizing the, those first uh, verses of two and three. He is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. There is none other but him. He is the one who rules and reigns supreme. I want to read this quote from Charles Spurgeon about this particular name for God. It says this, this title is full of honor. 
The Lord is God in the highest realms, and among celestial beings, his throne is set in glory. Above all, out of reach of foes, in the place of universal oversight. He who feeds ravens and sparrows is yet the glorious God of the highest realms. Angels count it their glory to proclaim his glory in every heavenly street. See herein the greatness of his nature, the depth of his condescension, and the range of his love. This is the God of heaven that we sing to and we praise. But note again, it doesn't end there. There's still another half to this verse, and it says this. For steadfast love endures forever. I want to say this to each of us. Uh, This psalm begins in love. It's carried throughout in love, and it ends in love. God's song over each and every one of us begins in love, is carried on in love, and ends in love. God's song over this church begins in love, is carried on in love, and ends in love. This is true for each and every one of us. I want to say this to you today. The king of stubborn love will never give up on you for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, that you would know that love. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love. Father, Son, Spirit, triune God who incessantly pour out your love on us. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the ways that you show your love for us in creation, in our redemption, in the ways that you provide for us ongoingly. We want to be a people of gratitude. We want to be a people who hang high this banner of love over our lives. And we want to resemble and model that love in this world. We want to model in Denver, in our neighborhoods. We want to reveal this love to others, but we want to know it first and foremost. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just uh, before we uh, take communion together, I want to ask you to do a couple things. If it's helpful, you can close your eyes. But I want to ask you this. What are some of the refrains, the regular refrains, or the regular songs, or the words on repeat on the marquee sign of your heart that you, you kind of go back to? I think all of us have these go-to songs, these go-to playlists that are on repeat. But what are those songs? What are those words that you say again and again, intentionally or unintentionally, in your life? These are lies, maybe, that you're meditating on. See, these are some of the lies that you might be saying to yourself, I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, I'm too much of a sinner. Maybe you're dealing with self-hate, hatred about a particular part of yourself. For others, it might be living out of places of fear. I'm terrified of filling the blank. For others of us, we think that we are what we produce. We find value in our assets. Some believe that life and true joy can be found in something outside of God. Whatever it is, learn to identify those things. What's playing in your heart? There's power in naming something. Maybe you're too busy to even know. I was talking to someone who's, over the last two years, they've been dealing with incredible fear and they didn't even realize it. It took their lives coming to a breaking point where they realized that suddenly they were living out a ton of fear. What would it look like to slow down your own life? Maybe schedule a counseling appointment. Maybe it's talking to Jason, getting connected to the lay counselors here at Park. Maybe it's a conversation with a friend in your gospel community that knows you and loves you. Maybe it's just a time to journal and ask, what songs have I been repeating without realizing it or realizing it? And are these, these things true of me? Are these things true of God? 
Secondly, what might it look like to let this refrain of Psalm 136 replace some of those lies with its truth? What would it look like to learn to repeat that line more and more in your own life? For a steadfast love endures forever. I uh, want to share a brief story. One of my daughters, uh, I would, I'll tell her I love her, and she'll say, no, you don't. Like, yes, I do. And she's like, no, you don't. Like, yes, I do. I love you. You hate me. I'm like, I don't hate you. I love you. Right? And we're in this kind of this uh, warring match of repetitions. Right? And I'm telling her the truth of my posture towards my daughter. I'm trying to convince her of this thing. And she's repeating a lie over and over again. She's saying, and I love her. I love her. I love her. And I want her to know that. And yet many times we are like my daughter and we're refusing to let God speak his truth over us. He's like, no, I love you. I love you. No, you don't. You hate me. And I think God wants to teach us to shed those lies and to take on these truths. We talk a lot about this expulsive power of a new affection or a new love. And the same thing is true. There's an expulsive power of a new repetition. We don't just get rid of one repetition and there's like, fine. But God wants to replace these false repetitions with his truths. And so it's just... Take a moment, maybe, J.D., you can play some, just as we consider what are these, these lies that we're, we're believing, maybe about God, about others. It might be about a friend. And I believe that the Holy Spirit might want to highlight some of these things for us today, to highlight these things in our lives. And he's highlighting these things not out to shame us, but to love us and say, you've been believing this thing. It's been affecting us whether we knew it or not. And I believe that not only does he want to shine a light on these things, but he wants to give us a new song, a new line that would replace those things that actually helps us live in the truth of this reality, that this steadfast love endures forever, and that we'd believe it. That phrase wouldn't be stale or flat or lifeless or listless. But as we say, for the steadfast love endures, steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, that we would actually know that, that we'd taste and see that he's good, that his love is good, that he's for us, he's not against us, that we don't get to define ourselves, but actually God does. We are who he says we are. And we keep yelling back at him, no, I'm not. God says, yes, you are. Yes, you are. This is who you are. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. No, I'm not. God looks us in the eyes and says, for my steadfast love endures forever. And that's over you. It's over me. So let's just sit here for a moment. Don't be too quick to move on. Try to engage your heart. Don't look at your phone. Be here. Be with God right now. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Uh, as the communion, communion servers are grabbing the elements, uh, I want to ask this question. Where do you see Jesus in Psalm 136? Where do we find Jesus there? I want to say this about Jesus. He is the true embodiment of Hesed love. Jesus embodies the love of the Father. Jesus is the Logos. He's the Word of God who created all things. He's the Redeemer of a greater exodus. Jesus is a loving and good shepherd who remembers us in our lowest state. He comes after us like a shepherd, comes after his lost sheep. But I want to remind you of this, that not only does Jesus remember us in our lowest state, 
he actually entered into our lowest state and became one of us. It's amazing. He literally became one of us. This God of gods, this Lord of lords, the God of the heaven, took on mortal flesh, being wounded, that we might be healed. He died that we might have life. Paul in Romans 5, 8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was the perfect embodiment of Psalm 136's refrain for his steadfast love endures forever. Do you wonder? Look to Calvary. Look to Calvary. This is where we see this kind of love on display. Uh, just before we take communion, uh, instead of reading from Scripture, I want to invite us to stand again. And I've, we've written a couple lines for communion. I'm going to read one line. You're going to read the second line, which is from Psalm 136. So read this with me. Who sent his only son to die in our place, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who meets us in our rebellion and extends friendship and a family name, for his steadfast love endures forever. Whose body was broken and blood was shed for us, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who invites us today to eat at his table, for his steadfast love endures forever. So all who have put their faith in Jesus, come eat and drink before the God whose stubborn and perfect love invites us to sit and eat at his table. We have gluten-free and alcohol-free options towards the front, right, and the left of the stage. Hey, thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Take care.